0: Welcome to The Backbone, a journey inside finance at a startup. I'm your host, Shabam Data, at Shabam on Twitter. On The Backbone, we're obsessed with finance and operations at startups. We take a close look at finance functions within various startup companies by talking to finance leaders that are in there day in and day out. We chat startup finance, metrics, operations, and everything in between. Joining me on this episode of The Backbone is Dave Pooley, Chief Financial Officer at Exxonify provider of an employee knowledge platform intended to help companies shake up learning and empower people with the knowledge that they need to drive measurable business results. Dave oversees the finance and accounting functions at Exonify. He began his career in public accounting and has since gone on to work at several successful technology and innovation firms. Dave specializes in working with early stage technology companies and helping them grow effectively and efficiently driving value to become sustainable long-term successes. His key strengths include a passion for growing an early stage company in a capital efficient manner, while helping them to drive and support the sales functions using data-driven insights and legal expertise. Dave obtained his CPA CA designation while working in public accounting in Banff, Alberta. He holds a honors business degree from Wilfrid Laurier University. And so without further ado, let's hear from Dave Pooley. CFO at Exonify Good morning, Dave. Thanks for coming on The Backbone. We've got tons of material to cover, so I want to d- dive right in. You've been involved in many technology companies in a finance capacity, including MyoVision, Fibernetics, and you've uh, served as a controller for the Kitchener-Waterloo-based accelerator, Communitech. You've also served as a virtual CFO for early-stage technology companies prior to joining Exonify. So talk to me about your journey into tech and how it all started for you.
1: Yeah, no, uh, I mean, first off, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, yeah, I mean, my background is pretty straightforward from a CPA, CA perspective. You know, I was Laurier grad, did the whole co-op thing, uh, moved out west, uh, worked for a public accounting firm actually was working for a firm in Banff uh, for a year, got my CA out there and then, you know, to be honest, became a ski bum for a while. I uh, hung around and then joined the oil and gas scene in Calgary, you know, doing the suit and tie gig, um, which didn't really suit me. Uh, you know, it was a large company, you know, sort of stuck in an office, didn't really have visibility in terms of how I was contributing to the rest of uh the company. Um, and my father actually uh, is in Waterloo here and had just started um, up as part, like he was working as part of uh, what's called the Accelerator Center. Um, and that was sort of generally actually a new concept at that time. Um, and it, mm-hmm. it was around supporting early stage technology companies and helping them grow um, in the early days. And so he was always talking about the types of businesses that were coming through that. That institution, and I found it really interesting, and so I actually decided to move home um, back to Waterloo, and at that point, um, really got um, you know sort of dove headfirst into the ecosystem here, and it's you know a really great connected group in Waterloo. Um, it can be a little incestuous sometimes, but at the end of the day, you know it's it's a really amazing community and you know it, it was just you know taking a year really of me networking um and that was you know, through the accelerator center uh through communitech you know meeting the right people um getting connected and then really from there it all just spiraled out and and it, it just became the biggest thing for me was you know putting your head down Staying outside of the fray of, you know, it, it, it can be like a high school here sometimes, you know, people gossiping and chatting and all that. And, and really just became about, you know, you just put your head down, you do a good job, you be a reliable person and you develop a good reputation. Someone that, you know, again, is sort of steady, gets things done, has a, a good background and, and then people are happy to work with you. And so it really became just from a virtual CFO perspective, it was... Some days or some companies I was working for one day a month, um, some a couple of days a week. And, and really, once you got your foot in the door, you were able to show the value that you're able to provide. And a lot of early stage tech people, you know, the CEO is doing a lot of things that, you know, at the time they think they need to be doing. But once you take that off their plate, they see the value that's created in them being able to focus on more important things and allow you to take care of those. So it really just sort of spiraled out from that. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I've been back almost 10 years now, and I've been with Exonify for uh, just
0: over five. That's awesome. So tell me a bit more about Exonify and what it's all about.
1: Yeah. Um, so, again, we've been around for about seven years now. And what we are, we're a, a micro learning platform. And, you know, I'm sure my marketing team will cringe on my definition about what we do, but really the genesis of it or the, the whole principle behind it, especially in my view, is, you know, right now, if I were to tell you something right now or sit you down and train you on something right now and sort of fire hose you with information, 30 days later, it's proven that 90% of what you've been told or taught is lost. Mm-hmm. And so companies are going out and they're sitting people down, whether it's in classrooms or in LMSs, which are sort of just digital classrooms, and they're fire hosing people with information over a long period of time, and then they're sending them off on their merry way and you know, asking them to continue to do their job and sort of expecting them to have retained that information. They're not remembering it, and, and we're not setting up our employees to successfully execute um, on the skills that we need them to you know, drive the ROIs within the business and, and drive uh, specific desired results. So where Exonify comes in, call it now micro-learning platform, I still reference it as a reinforcement platform. And so our platform is utilized to reinforce knowledge and training. And so an employee might log on to our platform a couple times a week, uh, interact with the platform, maybe play a, you know, a very simple type game. And as they interact with that game, questions pop up. And those questions that pop up are specific to them. So they're personalized and they're adaptive. And so it's, it's specific to their role within the business. And it's also adaptive because if you and I start on the same day, you answer all your questions right, I answer all my questions wrong, the next day or the next time you log on, the questions that you get will be very different than the ones I get because the platform
0: mm-hmm.
1: adapts to essentially close the knowledge gap in the specific areas that either of us are weak and so as the employee is interacting with the platform, it's fun and engaging because they're playing games, they're earning points. Um, but they're getting hit with these questions. That what it does is causes you to go back into your brain and search for the answer. And as you go back into your brain, it's shown that every time you go back to remember something, you're strengthening the connection to that piece of information. And so it's really about that type of thing is, let's break down what does an employee need to know you know, what are the 10 key principles? So if you sit someone down for an hour, there are typically eight to 10 key principles that you're trying to reinforce. So, you know, get rid of all the fluff and let's get down to the bare bones of what what do you need that employee to know to drive a specific result, whether that's increased sales or reduced costs from accidents. And so it's really getting down to those points and then reinforcing them. And so that's where our platform comes in is you know employees only on the platform 3 to 5 minutes a day if that like in terms of they could be on three times a week. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a really accessible way to have this continued training occurring and and this continued reinforcement of training. And and the other big thing for us is it's measurable. So, you know, their managers can go in and, and very clearly see where their employee might be struggling from a knowledge perspective at, at any point in time. It's not limited to, you know, once a year in terms of some kind of evaluation. It's this ongoing thing that you can actually see it's measurable. And we have features that drive impact. So we can actually tie results. So, increased sales within a store and and learning um, departments within a company can actually now tie. The learning and the knowledge that they're driving the actual specific results within the business, which is a, a huge step forward. So that that's sort of the, the basis around the, the the company and the product.
0: Yeah, that's super helpful, and and it just goes back to that you know learning isn't shouldn't be just contained to you know the first call it week or maybe two weeks of training and, and onboarding, but really it's a continuous journey with the the employee uh, once they've started and, and continue to onboard a, into the company and. Uh, that that's really great that Exonify helps to, to, to foster that.
1: Yeah. And it, I mean, it really is amazing. Like, it's, it's actually really not that surprising at the end of the day. But, you know, you know we've got games and you've got the sort of points and eBay auction site type thing that they can get rewards. And, and with all those drivers, really the biggest driver behind it is, is employees want to do good at their job. And, and so, you know, logging mm-hmm. on and interacting with the platform and getting reinforcement, it, that in of itself is is a huge motivator. And we find that um, employees actually, so you, you've got your sort of daily training that gets served up to you. But there's huge amounts of employees that do additional training outside of that where they can find additional resources within our platform. And then they're just doing this on their own. And again, really, it's that genesis of people People just want to be good at what they do. You know, they want to be proud of the work that they're doing. They want to feel knowledgeable, um, you know, get recognition for that from their bosses. But end of the day, just feel confident that they're doing the right thing. And and that's being shown through the platform.
0: That's awesome. So I, I want to spend some time talking about the market segment that uh, Exonify serves, you know, your your company serves large enterprises such as Walmart, Merck, Rogers, Manulife Bank, and Bloomingdale's just to name a few of the customers. It's clear that Exonify, you know, targets the enterprise segment of the market. And, uh, you know, it's typically known for longer sales cycles, large contract sizes, things of that nature. So as the finance leader, what considerations do you make when serving the enterprise market? And to follow up to that, uh, you know, in 2016, Exonify raised 27 million dollars from JMI Equity, a prestigious growth equity firm. And so does serving the enterprise market impact the amount of funding you go out and raise or the firms that you contemplated raising from? Um, and so, you know, a lot to unpack there, but we'd love to get your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll start first with the, you know, the firm. So JMI, you know, they, they've been with us for two years now, you know, an incredible uh, group to work with. Um, and definitely the, the groups that we were speaking with It was very important to us that you know they weren't just a check at the end of the day you know they needed to bring be bringing more to the table than just money because at that point we were able to really go out and we would have been able to access that money I'm not gonna say from anybody I'm not that confident but you know we would have been able to get it Um, but we wanted to get it from the right person and the right group um, and ensure that they were bringing more to the table And, and JMI did that you know they have a really great, you know, library of other companies that they work with and have invested in that are similar to us. We're probably on the smaller side of things in terms of our earlier days compared to the, the, the portfolio that they have. But we were able to leverage that in terms of, you know, learning um, from what they've seen with other companies. And we're in constant contact with them in terms of asking what they're seeing at their other portfolio companies. You know, at the board meetings, are um, the individual that sits on a board from JMI, you know, is is readily available to you know compare us for better or worse um, to other companies in the portfolio, and and that's really valuable to us. Again, we can we can leverage that experience. That in of itself, again, is just just as valuable as the check that we received. So it it absolutely was um, very Mm -hmm. important to us. And it did drive the decision that we made in terms of the group we worked with versus, you know, a a group that invests in SaaS companies that deal with, you know, individuals buying games or, you know, apps or something like that. You know, everybody has their skill sets and it is important when you're going out and raising money to align yourself with, an investment firm that has a skill set that reflects what you're trying to do. So absolutely that was very important from the enterprise side of things. Yeah. I mean, you know, in advance of this discussion, I was thinking about all the different things that come into play. So I would say when we raised the money, there wasn't some pivotal moment where we said we are, you know, we deal with enterprise and therefore we need to raise tax, that kind of thing. But there's no question underlying it. Um, you know, there's a whole pile of different things that come up that are of importance. You know, so when you're in early days, you know, as a smaller company, um, and you have fewer customers, yeah, as we were, um, you know, one of our first customers was, a, you know, represented fifty percent of our revenue stream, and so you become very dependent on that one customer or that one deal. Right. You know, so if you've got one customer, it really becomes about you know how confident are you going to retain that customer, um, you know how dependent are you that again if they were to leave, you know what is that going to do to you? And so you do have to take that in consideration. You know, you do have to model that out and, and have the contingency prepared. Similarly, I mean, everybody's guilty of it at some one point or another, where you know early days of a business and. And, you know, you get your rose colored glasses on and, and you think, oh, I'm absolutely going to close this deal. And, you know, that deal represents a very material um, cash flow. Um, and it's very easy for something to go sideways from that perspective. And so in the early days, there is a lot of the time there's just no way around it when you're you're dealing with these large enterprises and you know you're in your first year and you have five customers or six customers you know like for us you know maybe 50 or 60 deals a year so you know it's not huge numbers and there can be pros and cons to that Um, you know it's allowed us from a finance side of things to actually keep a, a pretty small team you know, SaaS is a pretty straightforward thing from an accounting perspective, you know, in terms of invoicing, um, you know, collections, that kind of thing, you know, we currently just have one person, uh, even though we're almost a 200 person company, you know, even forecasting becomes easier in terms of, you know, just the way that I approach things. So that um, comes into play, but then there's other things like the proper hiring, you know, it is so important to make sure that, you know, you're, high, you're taking the time to hire the right salespeople because it takes a year to figure out if they're good or not because it takes a year to close right. a deal. So, you know, really a sales rep comes on and I thought, I, you know, this can be an area of frustration for me sometimes because, again, you know, you really are dependent on making sure that the the hiring process is done really well because you know again you could hire someone they might not be that good, but it's really easy to keep saying well it's a 12 month sales cycle so there's a reason that they haven't closed a deal at eight months or nine months or 10 months and and sales reps wh- with respect to mm-hmm. enterprise are they're much uh, more expensive so you know it is not a low cost that you're caring for a year. And then that person doesn't work out, and hey, now we got to hire someone else, and we got to go through that whole training process again, and and that can really delay things. And so, you know, that to me is a very important area with respect to enterprise um, is is ensuring that you are taking the time um, and investing the time properly to ensure that you understand who you're bringing on, the capabilities they have, and then finding ways to. Measure them throughout the year. So, okay. uh, one of the other things I wanted to touch on really quickly was the, and this is a little outside of finance, but I think is really important, especially with enterprise, is the importance of. Uh, so, I'll just use Salesforce as an example. But you know, Salesforce data integrity, like really understanding stage flow, like how are your deals flowing through you know stage F through A. You know, are they, how long are they sitting in a stage? What kind of conversion rates are you getting? Uh, You know, what kind of conversion rates are you getting from different marketing approaches you're taking? All that type of data is so critical, especially from an enterprise perspective, because you're investing a large amount of money up front around the marketing, a large amount of money around the sales process. And you really want to be analyzing everything to make sure that you are, you're getting the most out of your money. Um, and you're getting the best efficiency out of it. And so from a sales rep perspective, it might be holding them accountable to certain processes. It might be holding them accountable from a stage full perspective. You know, you know, do they have deals that are just sitting in stage E? Like, are they actually, you know, even though they haven't closed something, how are they doing in terms of moving forward through the pipe? You know how long are things sitting? Are things getting abandoned? All that type mm-hmm. of stuff become really, really critical when you're you're talking about an enterprise um, enterprise uh, sales approach for sure. Some of the benefits um, you know, would be you know for us, there's definitely once you've built up that pool of customers. And you've built a really good reputation, which we have, like we have some really awesome referenceable customers, you know, that goes a long way. You know, when you have a company uh, such as say Walmart, you know, that is willing to go on record and do publications for you and uh, talk with other customers, that kind of thing really resonates in the market. And, and you can really, like, that. that's more valuable than, you know, all the marketing dollars in the world It's you know, having a referenceable customer that's a really big name out there saying, hey, we've seen X in terms of the results associated with the platform. We've seen, you know, this type of ROI. That kind of thing is invaluable. And so that's huge from an enterprise perspective. It takes a lot of work to get to that point. But once you have it, you can really parlay that into, you know, uh, additional customers, which then become more referenceable customers, and and you can really get that momentum going. And so you know you you build up this pool of deals, and and then at least you know year mm-hmm. to year, I generally you know because if you're doing the right thing, your churn rate is also low. You know you want to keep your churn rate. Typically, if you're a SaaS company from an enterprise perspective, you know you want to be in. A, you know, maybe churning five percent of your your opening pool, and so that becomes good in terms of again, you you have a predictable revenue base versus having to go out and resell each year. Um, or if you're dealing with you know individuals or you know higher turnover, you know, and you have a a churn rate of say you're churning out forty percent of your customer base, you know that becomes a really unpredictable year to year versus. Versus for me, you know, my forecasting process, my cash flow process, I I generally can rely on, you know, say 90% of our closing um, annual current revenue to exist and continue through to the next year. So I always have a general baseline of, you know, at least I know this amount of cash confidently will be coming in next year.
0: And then I can go from there. Yeah, that must be very comforting as a finance leader to have that.
1: It is. It's my, my warm blanket that at least one of the very few you, that you get, but from that, that you can actually rely. Yeah. On for yeah. Sure.
0: So one of the things I want to, and, and you started touching upon all, uh, a lot of this is when uh, I dig deeper into is the fact that, you know, the finance function is much more than just managing the company's books. You you spent a lot of time talking about sales and, and being able to uh, monitor that process. And um, and so, as the CFO, how do you manage a lot of these ever-changing priorities through the day and the week, and how do you manage the the priorities uh, within a smaller organization, let's say 20 people from when the time that you started to a much larger organization now, which is 200 people, so how have your priorities kind of changed, and how do you just manage the ever-changing priorities from day-to-day and week-to-week?
1: Yeah. When it was 20 people uh, and I joined when it was, you know, about 20 to 25 people and, you know, it was just me. And so, you know, I was working, doing some of the bookkeeping and, you know, doing all that, like really when you're early stage tech, you know, you roll up your sleeves and you get involved in everything, you know, it could be going out and buying the coffee containers and, you know, you just do whatever it takes. And so from a managing the priorities perspective, you know, really for me, it's always been about, you know, where is the value being driven in the business, and and that's that's sales. You know, that's closing deals, and so I'm I'm involved with uh, all of our contracts and, and negotiations. So I'm the legal proxy for better or worse, and um, so for me, sales has always taken priority. Um, You know, if there's a contract on the table, if there's a sales call, my priority is, you know, how quick can I turn the red lines around to the rep so that they can keep the momentum with the deal? After Hmm. that comes the finance and the accounting. Because there is no revenue or no financial statements to prepare if you don't have deals coming in that that are the basis of the revenue there. Right. That's a good way to put it. And so end of the day, you know, my priority is always... You know, just given that my role now, if again, if you're not, you don't have that that legal requirement, then then it would differ. But given my role and my involvement in this business, you know, that's always been number one, and and then it, it uh, just streams down from there. Again, what is the value driver? You know, what does my CEO want? What does my board want to know? And the reality is, and um, you know, I'm sure public accountants won't like me for saying it, but you know, the gap revenue gap accounting we do not spend any time going over our our gap financial statements like by the time an audit is done and the financial statements are issued in june or july that the board does not spend a material amount of time sitting reviewing those so you know why why would i be prioritizing those um over you know a contract or um reporting on it it could be the salesforce data you know the the flow you know very strategic you know value add um type of information that is actually useful to the business to make decisions so go forward you know forward looking information versus sitting and looking at a financial statement that is backward looking that is a point in time and and so really it's always been around you know identifying What's the most critical from uh, a business perspective? So, you know, how do we move the business forward? And then what is also most critical from a risk perspective? So, you know, obviously I'm not dismissing the value of gap um, financial statements in that, you know, they need to be done accurately. I'm fully committed to doing them accurately. They just might not always be the top of my list from a timeliness perspective. Um, but then it's also tax exposure. You know, there's stuff like state, U.S. state taxes and stuff like that. You know, it's always measuring. You know, what is the risk? You know, if it's a hundred dollar fine, and but it's going to take me, you know, three weeks to to put in the process to deal with it. Admittedly, I, I might sit on that for a year or two until it becomes something that you know we've got enough. Volume of deals in the U.S. or or in a specific state that it now becomes a high risk scenario that I need to pay attention to. And so early days, you can't do it all. Um, You know, if you're one person, you know, you have to prioritize, you have to accept that there are going to be things that you aren't going to be able to address. You know, you have that big list and those things will continue to sit at the bottom. And at some point you'll get to them, but you'll get to them when they're keeping you up at night every night and you know that they're now a priority item. And so it really becomes learning how to properly prioritize. And then as you grow, you know, you, you build that team around you and and you bring in the people like i've just got a top top-notch group of people that you know i've got in place i really don't have to think about much because you know they, i know that they can take care of everything i know that they're on top of it and again that allows me to prioritize again i continue to prioritize the sales because i continue to be involved with the the sales process and from a legal perspective and then it's you know if my ceo asks for something you know that's the first thing that i work on you know it's, it's what she needs and and i jump on that right away i make sure that she's getting the information she needs and then and then i'll find time to to address the other things that are on my
0: list gotcha yeah and and that's really really you know sage advice in terms of how to think about uh, prioritizing when you've got so much being thrown at you and so one last question i want to cover before we jump into our quick fire round is the importance of the finance function within a technology company think we covered quite a bit of that in, in, in your earlier uh, comments. But just, you know, maybe quickly to summarize, what, what would you say is the importance of the finance function within a technology company?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I've always viewed my role as a counterbalance to the CEO. Now, I, I'm very lucky because our CEO, Carol Lehman, she's a CPA, CA herself. So she's got the accounting finance background. Uh, you know, on the scheme of things, from a uh, our scale of things, from a CEO perspective, she would be more conservative than not. Um, from a CEO perspective, but then the day I do always view the finance accounting role as. The counterbalance to you know over optimism again the rose color glasses you know the excitement about opportunities and and I view our role as you know the the group that needs to ask the hard questions they, they need to you know really be digging into things because especially these days and it's a, a sort of a topic that weighs on me sometimes I get frustrated with is this whole idea of growth at all costs. Like, I, I don't know when profitability became such a negative word. And, and so, you know, it, it's really easy just to get in this sense of we need to grow 100% year over year. And, and if we're not growing 100%, we need to be, you know, dumping more money into marketing and dumping more money into sales. The, the reality is if the market's not there, you're not growing 100% no matter how much money you're putting into your marketing and sales team. And, and the reality is you're going to be going back out hot in hand to raise more money at a, at a lower valuation in a vulnerable position. And, and we see companies do it all the time. Again, they get so excited about an opportunity. They really believe that it's there. They just think if they throw money at the issue that, that it's going to happen. And, and I think that's where the finance role has to come in and, and has to say, you know, whoa like we need to be smart about that you know we have to you know really understand what's happening and and we need to be able to adjust you know throughout the year and we do this every year where we go in with a certain expectation in terms of what we're going to book end of the quarter of q1 we sit back and we say you know how are things looking and and at that point we make a decision do we need to you know kind of pull the reins in a bit in terms of our spending can we open things up a bit but it's a conversation and we, we look at, you know, do we have the processes? Are we getting the results out of our sales team? Because what's the point of hiring another 10 people if you're not getting the productivity out of the current five that you've got? And so I think, again, a lot of people and companies, you know, just load money into these things with really understanding, without understanding, do they have effective process? Like, are they getting everything they need to get out of what they already have? you know, does it make sense to, you know, add more to it? Or do you need to refine your processes before you throw more, more money at it? You know, maybe the market's not there yet. You know, maybe you're a year ahead. So it, it, I, I really, truly believe that that's where the finance position right. needs to, you know, be able to speak up and, and really, again, counterbalance the excitement that can be brought in by, you know, the, the opportunity that, that may or may not exist.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what I'd like to do now is jump into our quickfire round. And so the way this works is I'll ask you a couple of questions and you have 10 to 15 seconds to respond to each. How does that sound? Yeah, yeah, for
1: sure. Sounds good.
0: All right. So what is your go to online resource for all things startup finance related?
1: Yeah, I, I use, uh, I get an email from OpenView. OpenView, I find it has some really good stuff that comes in on a regular basis. And then to be honest, we leverage, as I indicated, uh, JMI, our RBC, that they just an incredible resource and so easy to reach out to and they're very responsive and telling me, you know, hey, we see this or this, that kind of thing.
0: And what's your favorite productivity?
1: I've actually gone pretty head- deep right now into meditation so actually meditate on a daily basis and i find that has been hugely valuable um to allow me to be very effective at my job now
0: very cool and what's one thing you don't leave the office before finishing
1: uh well i mean the reality is my office is the office or it's at home so if i don't finish it with the office and i'm finishing it at the house um but but end of the day contracts you know i I don't like to leave it hanging out at the end of the day like to keep that momentum going for my sales reps, So a contract will usually always be done at the end of the day.
0: Makes sense. What's uh, one tech jargon that makes you cringe?
1: You know what? I thought about this as much as I could. I couldn't think about one. So I was going to ask you, what do you, you know, what do you hear regularly? What's your thought?
0: I mean, so, all of the, I guess, uh, buzzwords that often kind of come and go, you know, we went through an era of or, or still maybe are like, you know, blockchain, crypto, AR, VR, anything and everything. is just like, you you just see it all the time. People are just trying to, you know, mold that into their offering, yeah. uh, even if it's not uh, willing to to be that. Um, so I think I, I hear a lot of that. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. And what's the best advice you've received so far in your career?
1: Yeah, I, I would say it came from my my current CEO. So Carol Lehman. Um, and, and it's surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. And so, you know, that's what I've done with my team. Um, you know, everybody on my team is exponential smarter than me at at the things that they do. And so, you know, it really is important to bring in the right people around you so that, again, you can have that confidence that, you know they're taking care of everything that needs to be done and, and you can focus on the important things that you
0: need to be done. Great advice for sure. Well, thanks again, Dave. Uh, really appreciated the time this morning and your perspective and, and insights on being an enterprise company that, that targets those level of customers, the kinds of considerations that you should be thinking about as an enterprise SaaS company, uh, the importance of sales and being able to prioritize, you know, the, the many tasks that roles and responsibilities that a finance leader has to entail and and how to effectively prioritize all of that. I really enjoyed this conversation and thanks again. Yeah,
1: uh, thanks for having me again. I, I agree. I really enjoyed the
0: discussion as well. Awesome. Take care. Bye now.